0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Monday edition of the Goody Reader radio show. It is May the 19th, 2014, here at goodyreader.com, and I'm joined today as I am every Monday with Digital Book World Zone, Mr. Jeremy Greenfield. Jeremy, how are you doing?
1: Uh, nothing much. Nothing much. It's a beautiful spring day in New York City. Finally.
0: So, we didn't do the show last Monday because you were actually in Boston.
1: That's right. I was
0: at the How Design
1: Live conference. It's a very large design conference that my company runs. It's a fantastic show. Um, it's for in designers and interactive designers and graphic artists. Um, and about thirty-five hundred people came. Uh, fantastic speakers, and it lasts all week. I'm, I'm very partisan, obviously, for digital book world. Um, but How Design Live might be an even better show. It's just it's so big and so exciting, and I really like design stuff. I think design's interesting and important, and. Um, you know, obviously with the Internet, we have such an opportunity to see uh, designs in a way that we never really had before. So I thought it was a great show.
0: Excellent. So the one of the biggest stories, I guess, of the last two weeks has been the whole uh, Hachette and Amazon, uh, re- the renegotiation of their contract. And I guess sort of the little short story is that um, Amazon sort of, Playing strong arm tactics, uh, they're taking weeks to ship out physical books uh, that Hachette publishes, and you know Hashtag's basically, you know, why are you taking so long? You know, we, we have more than enough titles, but you know, Amazon's kind of being Amazon. What's the, what's the story, Jeremy?
1: Well, I think you described it pretty well. What's happening physically? That Amazon seems to be. Uh, Not keeping enough stock of Hachette's books to be able to fulfill all the orders in a timely fashion compared to what it does for other companies' books, and really for all the goods it sells. And if you're familiar with Amazon, you know that you know getting getting its stuff to its customers is one of its highest priorities. Um, So when things are out of stock from a major supplier that has a a long track record of having things in stock. you know, it's a signal that something is happening. You know, what's largely thought to be happening because Hachette told the New York Times that this happening is that Amazon is not keeping enough of its books in stock and not discounting its books uh, the way it was um, a month or two ago. And it's resulting in losses of sales for authors and for the publisher. Uh, and we had an author, a Hachette author, Michael Sullivan, who has a best selling um, science fiction fantasy series. Uh, and he wrote a blog post for us on Digital Book World about just how this dispute was affecting his business. And, um, it, it's affecting it pretty strongly, actually. Uh, he had his print sales across all channels decreased by almost 50%, um, in the first four months of the year versus the first month of the year. And he saw his ebook sales rankings, um, decline precipitously. And, and we know from following this for a very long time that ebook sales rankings are a very good proxy for. Uh, sales in general. So, um, you know, he's probably not alone among the authors uh, who are, are making less money now um, because of the stance Amazon's taking. Um, you know, Amazon is definitely well within its rights not to discount ebooks as much or to keep as, as many books in stock. It's a business decision that it can make. Um, but it's a little uh, surprising to a lot of us who have watched Amazon because usually when Amazon negotiates with its partners, it doesn't put its customers in the line of fire, um, and in this case, uh, it is putting its customers in the line of fire uh, because customers who want to buy, you know, a certain Malcolm Gladwell title, for instance, um, are having trouble getting it in a timely fashion from Amazon, and they can get it in a timely fashion from other any any other supplier really. Um, the other thing that's surprising about this is that authors are really suffering. Shed authors are suffering, and Amazon, you know, has this party line of you know we are in favor of authors and we. Uh, you know, support authors, Um, but maybe that's not entirely true if it's an author that is working with with a different supplier, a different publisher, and not Amazon Publishing or or working directly with Amazon as an indie author. Um, So this has been an interesting story for us in the industry to follow, and so far I haven't seen uh, any word of a resolution.
0: Well, at least this is not happening like the negotiation of the Macmillan contract where they actually removed all the Macmillan titles remember that like a few years ago yeah
1: that was a couple of years ago when, basically when Macmillan wanted to go agency and um, that is that set its own prices for ebooks Amazon was very against that um, and uh, buy buttons were removed from Macmillan titles for a weekend in which you know probably millions of dollars were lost um, you know for everybody it involved the authors, the agents, the publisher and Amazon itself uh, certainly had a lot to lose there too um, and, you know, customers were affected as well. And Amazon actually ended up backing down there. But um, Amazon has more market power now than it did then. And ebooks are a much larger business um, as a percentage. And Amazon is dominating that market. Amazon has grown in the physical book market as proportion to other physical book sellers. So it has more power now. Um, and it might have, uh, you know, the ability to wait something like this out. And second of all, we're not talking at this point about buy buttons being removed. Um, you know, right now it's a it's a slowdown in sales on stoppage in sales. Um, so that is a key difference, but uh, it's still a pretty protracted fight. We're hearing reports that other publishers are facing similar tactics from Amazon when we negotiate their contracts, and and this is probably about um, you know the amount that Amazon can discount titles. Um, it could be about Amazon's margin. It could be about the publisher's margin, um, and uh, it's just about the general terms of the contracts.
0: So the way I see it, basically, I think that Hatchet will eventually acquiesce to Amazon because there's no way that Hatchet cannot do business with Amazon, with either their digital titles or their print titles. They, Amazon just has they're the most dominant player in the in the ebook space but also with online book sales as well so i really don't think that Hachette could afford to really play hardball with amazon for too long because the company is losing money its authors are losing money eventually i think that amazon will get the better deal like they'll have the better bargaining power where they'll be able to get closer to what they want rather than haschette getting the closer deal to what they want and I think you know a lot of this comes down to uh, the abolishment of the agency model where there's no uniform ebook price anymore but we're almost going back to that sort of a uh, hybrid wholesale model where Companies like Amazon could charge as much as they want uh, for the book, but the publisher and the author still makes the same amount of money as if it was being sold at a higher price. And this is just to... Destroy the competition, you know, and as you as we see it's working, you know, Sony's closed down North American operations, they basically closed down worldwide operations. Uh, Kobo, um, doesn't really sell books in the states anymore, instead, all people who want to buy books from the states have to use Kobo's Canadian site, and even kobo's in trouble in Canada. There's a big, uh, a loss, you know, there's a big, um, thing going on in the canadian courts with kobo about how they're saying that the agency models like you know the abandonment of it is destroying their business and they're trying to um you know they're trying to get something happening here with the courts and you know so i think that you know in the end i think amazon and the Hachette deal will be ironed out and renewed but at the same point i think amazon's gonna win here
1: yeah, probably. I, I you know, uh because you know, Hashet needs Amazon more than Amazon needs Hachette. Um, you know, but we'll see. Uh this could, you know, inspire Hachette to again or further invest in, in alternate channels. And, it, you know, it, it, i think bring up agency pricing makes a lot of sense. You just kind of go back to thinking about um, you know, what happened uh in the in the ebook price fixing trial and you know what? How how this affected the market? Um, you know, one of the unintended consequences of Apple entering the market and establishing agency pricing was that Barnes and Noble um, established a foothold. I think the unintended consequences of uh, Am- of, of the uh, agency price fixing decision, which Amazon, you know, wasn't wasn't a plaintiff in that, um, you know, just helped supply evidence, and a lot of people in the industry think was one of the reasons the trial happened and the action happened. Um, has gained a ton of market share, and a lot of its competitors have gone away. And I wonder, you know, if a year or two from now, if things keep on going in the same direction, really, Amazon is the only viable ebook retailer in the U.S., um, whether the uh, the Department of Justice will regret uh, what it did or not. I mean, you know, clearly the publishers colluded uh, in a very improper way to uh, essentially fix the price of ebooks. Um, but the, but the the remedies in the marketplace. Um, You know, forcing agency pricing away, almost in my mind arbitrarily, that that was a remedy, Um, really uh, changed the game significantly for Amazon. And I think we're seeing its effect on the market today in things like this action with the chefs.
0: All right. So the other big story, I guess, that's transpired uh, over the weekend was uh, an annual conference uh, called the RT Book Lovers Convention. And uh, this happened in New Orleans. Uh, And um, I guess what happened is it drew about 700 authors and there was... I think at the height about like a few thousand people that came uh, to get autographs to buy books and, and things like that. But we, we saw like a huge segregation uh, effort here where the traditionally published authors were in one room and then in a room, half the size were the indie authors aspiring writers and so on. But the convention basically uh, pigeonholed, all self-published authors into aspiring authors, and they actually handed out ribbons uh, to everyone. So, if you had, if you belonged to like a publishing, uh, you know, house like Simon Schuster, Hachette, and so on, you had a you had a ribbon on your badge that said "published author," whereas everyone else had little ribbons that said "aspiring authors." And a lot of indie authors who attended to this event. Um, are writing, it's it's basically a firestorm right now where all the indie authors are, are busting out their, their pitchforks and their their flaming torches and they're saying that, you know, uh, segregating us into a room half the size where even the tables were half the size. Um, the published authors had tables like 6 to, to 10 feet in size and the indie authors had tables that were 2 to 3 feet in size and there was just a lot more people there a lot less room and things like that Uh, but what i had heard was that the traditionally published authors actually brought books with them to sell and to to have autographed. Whereas with digital, you know, with with indie authors, most of the times uh, they're selling things digitally. So they didn't need the large table space because most of them were just selling books on uh, Kobo and, and, you know, iBooks and Amazon and things like that. Or if they did sell books, it was on consignment. Um, What are your thoughts about this, Jeremy?
1: It's just, it just—it seems needlessly stupid. I mean, it's—it's it's not like the uh, organizers of that conference are unaware of what's happening in the book publishing world right now and in the indie publishing community in particular. I mean, this move was obviously going to be met with uh, a huge amount of anger and frustration, and I don't think that the table size is necessarily what it's about. I mean, there is a practical consideration, as you bring up. Um, and even the, the separate rooms, you know, because uh, even though one of the rooms was reportedly very far away from the other uh, where the authors were and they tried to start driving foot traffic there when they saw it a problem, you know, I think you could bill that as, uh, you know, this is the special in the author area. Um, but the main problem, I think, is the naming, uh, aspiring writer. I mean, many of these people are aspiring to something else, but many of them are doing what they want to be doing. Um, and they are, you know, running publishing companies essentially uh, with their own titles. Um, so, and the indie author community, for some reason, is extremely sensitive. I'm not saying that uh, that they they shouldn't be, but really, they shouldn't be um, that sensitive. But they are, and this was bound to just go over extremely poorly as a result. So, I'm I'm not surprised about this. Um, I think that the 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 RT organizers just made a huge stupid mistake um and i think you know uh, other conferences um will learn from them hopefully
0: well uh, you know uh hugh howie is more or less uh the stalwart vanguard-slash-spokesman of uh, the indie author community. Um, and uh, he basically wrote a long, meandering blog post about it, basically saying, imagine selling two million books, having a half a dozen novels, uh, hit the New York Times bestseller list, uh, being inundated with thousands of fan emails every month, and then having someone call you an aspiring writer. So he wasn't at this event, but obviously... Hugh Howie in traditional Hugh Howie fashion uh, has to stand up, you know, for the the downtrodden indie authors that feel slighted through uh, convention uh, organizers Let's talk Howie for a minute, Jeremy, you know, uh, he sold a lot of books, he's probably one of the most successful uh, indie authors out there, self-published authors, turned down many publishing deals uh, in the hopes of, uh, you know, having a little bit more control over his future and things. Um, do you think that, a lot of people say that he is the spokesman of, of self-publishing, do you think that that's the case? Um, you know, I think he stepped into that role to some extent. I think that you know Mark Coker uh,
1: has been in that role to some extent, um, and and Sylvia Day has talked about it a lot. Um, the hybrid author as well. Um, you know, all of us in the, in the media side have really talked about self-published authors a lot. But yeah, he definitely is is one of the leading ones, if not the leading one. And um, you know, I think he's absolutely uh, within his right to to write about something as as silly as this. Um, so I would definitely uh, not surprised of, of what he said. And, and, you know, I think to some extent he kind of stokes the flame of being sensitive to some of these issues because it's confusing to me, and I'd like to explain, you know, what is at stake in some of these things? You know, to have a tag that as a spiral, to be put off to a room on the side, to be, you know, let's say given less space, even though it doesn't really make that much of a difference, I could see what's at stake there. Um, and but but when it comes to, you know, smaller issues of, you know, how well are indie authors actually doing, um, you know, when conflicting studies come out and one study is, you know, wrong and evil and has an agenda, um, I, I don't understand where some of those thoughts come from and where some of that animosity and some of that emotion comes from. Um but but I do think he's within his right to write about this, and and I think that you know he's benefited to some degree from stoking that fire a little bit, and um, you know I uh, more power to him if that's what he wants to do.
0: You know that that's the exact way that I feel about him. I feel that this is the way that he keeps himself in the news by you know doing these author earnings reports, um, you know stoking the flames, as you adequately put. I, I think that this is. Hugh, Howie, and Amazon are very much the same in this regard. I mean, you know, being journalists it does a single week go by that we don't get some sort of press release or email from Amazon about something that they're doing. And this is almost like the same with Hugh Howie, where like not a week goes by that he's not saying something semi-controversial and then, you know, so many people pick up on the story and write about it. And in between books, this is like a good way to keep himself in the news and, you know, to, um, to get all the other indie authors rallying behind him. So when he does release a new book, chances are it'll sell better than the book prior. Um, Getting back to the – oh, sorry, go on. Yeah, you know, I I don't know if I think that it's about
1: book sales. I think that, you know, Hugh really, um, you know, is a a part of this community that um, he grew up in. And, you know, for him, I think he talks very passionately and rightfully so about – you know, not being able to publish and not being able to do what he wants to do, and then all of a sudden having this overnight hit—not um, exactly overnight—but having a hit that that you know could never have happened in another era. And what a great time it is to be an author and, and talking exactly about that. So when he talks about you know all of the author earnings report and things like that, I don't see it as him you know just trying to keep his name in the news to somewhere books. I think he does, um, you know, he, he does think passionately about, about authors and and um, you know the author community. Um, but I think that, uh, sometimes I don't understand why there's so much sensitivity around certain issues. Um, and I think, you know, Howie is also positioning himself, I think, for perhaps a time after novel writing. Um, you know, the author services industry is a huge industry and, um, publishers are part of that industry and authors... Companies like Author Solutions and Smashwords are, are part of that industry. Also, this huge cottage industry of you know freelancers who have cropped up there. You know Hugh Howie could very easily slide into that as a as a consultant for some of these um, uh, author services uh, platforms. Uh, he could he could consult for indie authors themselves. And you know I think if there's any way that talking about it helps them make money, it's that.
0: You know. Uh, you raised an interesting point because uh, that's sort of the way that I feel about Mark Coker uh, being sort of one of those pillars of the self-publishing community. I can never really take what he says seriously, like when he writes pieces for the Huffington Post and he's always talking about, you know, this is the greatest time to be a self-publishing author. And I, did you see the like the the self-published manifesto that he wrote
1: yeah, that didn't make much sense to me, to be honest, and, uh, and I say that with uh, the utmost respect, because Mark is a, a super duper smart guy and, and super on point. Uh, but that manifesto, I don't think—I mean, I think that was a little bit more of the same saber rattling that we're talking about, you know, kind of riling up the base of, of the, the indie authors to get excited about issues that I think ultimately are not really uh, issues.
0: You know, um, uh, that 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 manifesto pissed me off to no end i was like gonna write uh, you know a scathing rebuttal to it and then cooler heads prevailed but you know i mean he runs smashwords and i think that like almost everything that he says is just basically to get more people publishing on his platform you know uh and that he always sort of has that agenda where it's like he runs a for-profit company in the end and you know it's only in his best interest to be one of those pillars of the self-publishing community or at least paint himself out to be because in the end the more that Smashwords is quoted in the media, the more that Mark Coker's name's in the media, uh, the more people that may elect to go publish with Smashwords and distribute it to Amazon rather than going to Amazon directly and uh, uh, self-publishing with them. So, uh,
1: yeah, I mean, you know, that that said though, you know, he is running a business that is based on that proposition. And I think that it makes complete sense then that he would write things that got people onto the Smashword platform. I mean, I, I don't blame him for one second for, uh, you know, for, for doing anything he can. Not anything he can, but, but you know, things within reason to get people interested in the publishing, get people interested in Smashwords. Um, then it's marketing. It's marketing for him. Um, you know, when the marketing is masked as what is right and what is wrong, that's when it can be irksome. But I don't think Mark really veers into that territory, but I do think that the manifesto was was more about kind of, you know, riling people up. It wasn't more about riling people up, but it sort of went, uh, sort of edged in that direction rather than, um, you know, helping self-published authors do their business better, which I think is really what Smashwords is about.
0: All right, let's uh, talk about something else. Uh, Scribd has reported that they have uh, over 4, 400,000 ebook titles, and in terms of revenue, they're ahead of Oyster. Yeah,
1: I sat down with uh, Tripp Adler, the CEO of Scribd, last week, and um, we talked at length about those two things. And, uh, you know, I think in fairness, just to sort of go back to how this sounds coming out of Tripp's mouth, that, you know, he wasn't negative about any of his competitors. He was actually quite positive about the industry as a whole, including his competitors, and he thinks that that, uh, there's a lot of room for many different companies to be involved in the um, in the subscription ebook business. And, you know, he happened to think Scribd is, is the best one of them, of course. Um, but he, you know, does think there's a lot of room and did talk a little bit about his competitors, and I faithfully reported what he said. Um, but we talked about a lot of other things as well.
0: You know, I think one of the benefits of Scribd was that, you know, it was around for, like, seven, eight years, and Oyster and Entitle and all those companies, they're newcomers. And I think one of the competitive advantages that Scribd has is that they have just that deep Google history where, like, everyone's linking to their site, um, people talking about it. So it's no surprise that they're doing better uh, just because they have... You know it comes down to that they have more marketing clout on Google you know after all those years of people talking about them obviously they're gonna show up first uh, from their competitors that have been around for like a year or less and they just don't have all those people talking about their sites um, so so one thing I actually found interesting, Jeremy, about uh, Oyster and um, Scribd was that they both have deals with Smashwords, and a lot of their titles actually are self-published titles that they have in like in their library.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a lot of stuff that you said uh, makes a lot of sense. Scribd is also international, whereas the other ones are not. Scribd is on more platforms. Oyster is really just cell phone. Only and it has 80 million monthly visits visitors. Um, so it is a has a, a huge head start uh, against the other services. And you know, let's be honest, it's cheaper. It's a dollar cheaper per month. Um, I've heard rumors that Scribd is roughly three times as large as the next largest one, but that is completely unconfirmed and and you know shouldn't be trusted for anything beyond just being an unconfirmed rumor. Um, but, you know, I think that I do agree with Trip Adler, though, that if this model is going to take off, that uh, there will be room for more than one player. I mean, listen, Amazon is already experimenting with this, with the Kindle and the Monday Library. I've also heard rumors that Amazon is looking into building a more um, commercial, uh, full offering, um, an all-you-can-eat offering, just like uh, Scribd or, or Oyster. So... Um, It may not work as a model, it may not work as a large part of the business, but it's something that people are certainly trying and I think will be uh, in the mix at least for a little while.
0: I had a survey sent to me uh, last week, and it was from Kobo, and uh, they were talking about the viability of a social book club, and... The way that it was worded it almost seemed like a given that they're going to be launching an online book club. So something something similar to Goodreads in a respect that people could talk about books that they like and they could, you know, discuss books that they're reading um, and... A lot of the survey questions were talking about uh, social media. You know, is talking about your books on social media important to you? Um, if so, what, you know, services would you like the Kobo Book Club to tap into? And they were talking about Facebook, uh, Pinterest, Twitter, and a few others. Do you think that Kobo needs to start a book club? No.
1: Um, you know, the 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 social reading experiments that have gone on uh over the past three or four years um, have largely been uh failures there are some great successes um, there is uh goodreads obviously which is it's the biggest social reading uh success when it comes to books i mean obviously when it comes to reading socially uh you know twitter and facebook are, are huge and people do a ton of reading on those platforms not not books though So, Goodreads is a success. Um, But for every Goodreads, there's a a small demons or a read mill um, or half a dozen others that that there really isn't a business for it. And the reason that there is no business for it is principally because people just don't do it that much. Um, They're just not that interested uh, in doing it for one reason or another. Um, You know, I think maybe the reason is that. When you get into a book, it's it's essentially a solitary experience. It's not like you're watching a movie sitting next to somebody. Um, Maybe it's it's not that many people read books to get that critical mass of of social chatter um, around certain titles. And there are so many book titles out there. I mean, a hundred or so uh, movies come out of Hollywood every year. Um, You know, three hundred thousand books come out of the U.S. publishing industry every year, and that's not even counting the three hundred fifty thousand or so indie author titles that come out of the industry every year. And that, that number, both those numbers, are growing. Um, so th- there's a lot of possible reasons why none of these experiments have really taken off as being a real legitimate business. I don't see it as a game-changer for Kobo. I think it's a nice to have and not a need to have for any of these uh, these companies. You know, uh, what I think Kobo needs is to have, you know, uh, a super popular device uh, that gets widely purchased and then better service and lower prices than its competitors. And unfortunately um it's principal competitor is really good at all those things
0: well i mean the the like you know the kobo i think is is a a distant number two to amazon and kobo doesn't really have any social you think more than apple um yeah i think so i mean when it when it comes to like selling ebooks You know, I think that Kobo is, like, the number two to Amazon. You know, they're just, they're in too many markets. You know, they may not break any sales records in North America. But, you know, you look at, like, South Africa, the Philippines, uh, you know, Thailand. uh, I'd be willing to wager that Apple is bigger worldwide than Kobo. I don't know, man. I, I... I would probably say that, you know, from from everything that I've read, you know, I know in Canada, Kobo is bigger than Apple. I know in the U.K., Kobo is bigger than Apple. Um, right, but in the
1: U.S., which is by far the biggest market, Apple is, you know, 15 to 20 times larger.
0: Well, I'm talking about, like, worldwide, you know. if you Right, were to- right, right. But, but if
1: you think about how important the U.S. market is for the world, I mean, that could uh, tip the balance. I mean, I'm not sure. I don't know. But, you know, that would that would strike me as something that would make a big difference.
0: Well, you know, I mean, I know so many people that, like, read ebooks. I don't know anybody that reads, like, ebooks on iBooks on their iPhone or iPad. Like, I don't know anybody. You
1: know, you're, you're, I, that's true. I also don't know anyone who buys iBooks, although I'm not probably as good of a person as you are for that because I don't, I don't know a ton of people that read ebooks, but I know a lot of people that read ebooks. Um and I don't really know anyone who proclaims to use iBooks for that. Okay. Um, nonetheless that's that's you know, that
0: activity has happened. So let me amend this. Kobo's likely the number two or number three bookseller in the world. Um, Mm -hmm. They don't really have like a social platform. They were relying on Goodreads for the longest time to populate all their apps and their website with book reviews. And then they, you know, when Amazon bought Goodreads, they pulled the API and, you know, they're, they're starting to build reviews organically now. And now that Amazon has Goodreads, but more importantly, Goodreads is baked into the Kindle Paperwhite, into the Amazon Kindle Fire. It's on all their devices where if you buy a Kobo e-reader, It just reads books. There's, like, no social experience, like, at all. And I think that Kobo really kind of wants the equivalent of the Goodreads button where they can press a button and they could like, talk about books. Because let's not forget, digital books is, like, the most solitary experience that you could ever have. When you buy tangible books you're going to a bookstore. You're talking with the sales clerk. You're talking with like other people, you know, most likely. You know, oh, I saw that book. I read it. It's really good. blah blah blah. Whereas with an ebook, it's like you're in your boxer shorts. You just finished one book in a trilogy. You're going to buy the second book. Once you read that second book or read the entire trilogy, who the hell are you going to talk about the books to? You know? Um You know, for me, um, I read a lot of, like, non-fiction. I read a lot of fiction. Uh, I read a, a lot of, like, difficult reads. And for the most part, I don't have anybody to talk to, like, talk to uh, about my the books that I've read lately. You know, I just read, uh, you know, um, this book called Council Wars, which was about the whole 8-bit, 16-bit era with like, you know, Sony battling Nintendo, battling Sega, and it was like this awesome read, but I don't know too many people that are like hardcore gamer geeks that would like appreciate that book, but, you know, if Kobo had, like, a social platform that I could, oh, I just read this book, blah, 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 it was so great. And, you know, people chime in, oh, yeah, you know, I read that too. And, like, you know, suddenly a big 100-page thread uh, develops talking about, like, this one book. That's compelling to me. Um, it's better than— But can't you already get that on Goodreads? You because
1: Theoretically, if there's anywhere that that discussion would be happening, it would be on Goodreads.
0: Yes, but, you know, Amazon owns Goodreads, so it's not like, if I have a Kobo, I can't, like, access Goodreads, like, on my Kobo, and I think that that's what Kobo wants I to do. I see, the, the, an on, an on-device yeah. social outlet. You know, being able to, like, share, uh, like, a quote, a paragraph, you know, on it, or, or something, I have no idea, but... It, it, from the survey, the way that it was worded, it seemed like it was a given that Kobo was going to be making this. The survey was just based on like what, what the logistics, you know, do you want it social? Do you not want it social? How do you want the sharing? Is sharing important to you? You know, that sort of thing. So it seemed like. Kobo's doing this but I don't think that they really worked out the logistics of like the social media aspect of it yet and I don't really even think the social media aspect's a big deal I mean you know Facebook and Twitter who really cares you know uh, Pinterest yeah it's, it's good for like book covers or stuff stuff like that but I don't think any of those platforms are relevant at all to you know to reading or talking about books you know it's like here's what I ate, you know, here's a picture, or, you know, uh, bantering with people on Twitter, you know. It, it's None of those platforms seem, like, indicative to reading. Am I, am I just off base with that? Um,
1: I think that, you know, for you that might be true, but you also have to consider that there are many other people out there, and, um, you know, those other people out there, I think, are, uh, you know, using those platforms to discuss books. Uh, maybe not the same as Goodreads, and maybe it's a different kind of book discussion. Maybe it's where the, the 50 Shades of Gray discussion happens. Um, but I do think there are book discussions happening on those other platforms um, that are worth thinking about and talking about. Um, that said, I think you make a very good point about having, you know, Kobo wants its own on device social experience. I can tell you that I, um, you know, when I, when I read e books, I mostly read on my Kindle uh, app, on my iPhone. And the Goodreads integration, um, I don't use it, but I do notice it, and it's nice. Uh, it, it, it looks nice, and I can see how someone would um, would definitely use it. So I could understand why Kobo would want that, uh, to give someone like you already, its users, um, that experience. I don't think it's going to make a difference in terms of Kobo's being able to grow its market share significantly, um, but I think it will be nice for its readers to have.
0: So we're talking about social media and you know and, and things like that. Did you hear about a new option that Twitter was introducing called Twitter Mute? No. Okay, so this is a, a feature that's going to be hitting all their apps and their web, you know, and in a staggered release. They they gave a timeline of about a month or so. And what this will do was that. You know, in the past, if you wanted to, if someone was spamming you, you know, uh, buy my book, buy my book, you know, and, and you wanted to say, you know, shut up, basically, you had to unfollow them in order to not hear them talk anymore. And with uh, publishing companies or brands or journalists and things like that you know you often have a lot of people following you and in the most cases you follow a lot of people because the more people you follow the more people that will follow you the more that you know the more of a man you seem or a woman that you would seem I guess Uh, but Twitter mute would allow you to mute people without having to unfollow them so it's a way that you can kind of keep your Twitter stream relatively clean so you're only mm-hmm. seeing the tweets from the people that you like the most like same with me you know I have um. I think with the goodie reader account I think we thought fo- fo- we follow like 20 people but we have like you know 12 or 13,000 people that follow us and I I, I fall fo- I deliberately follow less people because I don't want to like log into Twitter and just see a bunch of inane friggin chatter but with Twitter mute you know you could follow a million people and just mute them all, and this way you're not actually seeing them on your stream. And I think mm-hmm. that this is great because all all the time, like I I, I see self-published authors and even traditionally published authors that like do nothing but like gratuitously self-promote themselves and and most of it's all just like buy my book, buy my book, buy my book, buy my book and this is like a way that we could actually shut these people off without having to like unfollow them.
1: Yeah, no, I I think that makes a lot of sense but um, I think ultimately you should just unfollow them and you know I think one of the things that's been great about Twitter and why so many um, people have moved over from using facebook uh to using twitter for discussion and for news dissemination is that it's, it's pretty transparent um, that you know you can see your network you can see other people's networks you can see if someone's kind of just a spammer um, you can see if someone's just getting followers so that they can they can uh uh have more people follow them and this really makes it, it gives you almost no incentive, um, or it gives you less of an incentive not to follow a million, billion people, uh, and sort of tap them on the shoulder and hope that they follow you back. So I don't really love this um,
0: this move. You know, uh, I, I think this move is, like, good for certain people. Um, yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. It's It's like... I think muting is just, like, enabling them to spam more, you know, in the hopes that, like, some people will, like, see their message. But, you know, I've written about a few times about how often, like, these spammy Twitter authors will often get trending terms, and then they'll take advantage of those trending terms just to, like, spam about their book. So a lot of the times if you use Twitter, there's, like, you know, ten or so uh, trending terms of whatever's popular going on at that time, and a lot of the time, um, authors will automatic will d- either make their own term trend just because there's so many bots and robots and people spamming the same stuff, or they'll like hijack other trending terms in the hopes that like when people are have clicked on those trending terms, you'll see all these like authors like oh, you know hashtag, you know, whatevs, buy my book, you know, that sort of thing. So, I see Mute as being a pretty good boon, but I think it's only really relevant to, like, certain people. Mm. Uh, So, before we close the show out today, Jeremy, what are your final thoughts? Um, I
1: would like to invite everyone who's listening to our webcast on Wednesday. We are having a webcast about developing children's apps for um, authors and for publishers. I know that you know, apps have taken a beating uh, among the book publishing uh, industry, and I think that you know this is just round three of a long, uh, protracted uh, relationship that the industry is going to have with apps. And I do think that children's book apps is one of the areas that publishers and authors should look at because kids are reading books on apps um, in a really significant way, and and there have been more hits in that area than there has in the adult side. So this will be a really interesting webcast. We've got three great speakers who have. Um, you know been very successful uh, in the children of space who are going to share some knowledge with us um, so I'd like to invite everyone to check out our, our latest webcast uh, coming up this Wednesday at noon at digitalbookclub.com
0: speaking of uh, digital book club uh, digital sort of videos at DBW. did you um, last time we talked you mentioned um, an ebook subscription debate that's right. How did that happen?
1: No, that's June 11th. That's free. Um, unlike many of our other webcasts, it's free to attend. I definitely welcome anyone who wants to attend that. We've got a lot of strong registration already for that, that event, um, and that's going to be fantastic. Um, and that is an hour on June 11th at noon. Uh, you can go to digitalbookworld.com and webcast to check it out and to register.
0: I encourage everyone to do that because it's, uh, it's a really new thing that you guys are doing and there's like a lot of, you know, important people in the publishing world that's going to be taking part in the debate. So um, everyone check that out and thanks for listening to the Goodie Reader Radio Show, Monday edition. Everybody take care.